Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Equipped to Serve, a study in Paul's pastoral epistles. Here's Pastor Nick. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you. Uh, go ahead and open in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Your New Testament, that's where we're studying currently in our series that we started last week. Our series is titled Equipped to serve, and we're studying through the pastoral epistles, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And last week we began to study 1 Timothy, and we're going to continue where we left off last week in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So go ahead and open in your Bibles there, and let's bow our heads and pray as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We come to your Word with a sense of awe and, and reverence that you, the God of the universe, would bow down to speak to us, to care for us, to save us. Lord, thank you that you came to us to reveal yourself to us and to be the Savior we need. And Lord, we pray that this morning, help us to understand your grace. Help us to understand it better and help us to understand what it means for our lives. So Lord, this morning we ask that as we read these words from your scriptures, Lord, give us understanding of what they mean. Help us to apply them in our lives. And Lord, we pray that they would have a transforming effect in our lives as you shape us through them into the people you desire us to become. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my house, there's this one mirror. This is one mirror that makes me look really good. Okay, like I'm not kidding. This mirror makes me look so much better than any other mirror in my house and any other mirror that I've ever encountered anywhere else. But it's kind of a blessing and a curse. And here's why. Because, like, it's a blessing because I get to look at myself in the mirror and be like, wow, I look really good today. But it's a curse because if I go anywhere else, it turns out that I don't actually look that good. <laughs> so, like, I'll be, I'll be walking around and I'll walk past another mirror and I'll be like, yikes, what is that? I don't look good at all, right? Or I'll, I'll like, see my reflection in like, a, in, like, a car window as I'm walking down the sidewalk and be like, oh, no. Is that what I actually look like? That's not good. So that mirror, my favorite mirror, the mirror that makes me look really good, I realized why it makes me look so good. The reason is it's not actually the mirror. It's the lighting in the room. You see, we have a little bit of an older house, and the lighting in some of the rooms is, is pretty bad. It's pretty weird. And so I've been working on updating my house. But honestly, I'm going to be real, real candid with you guys. I updated everything in this room except for the light fixture because I'm a little bit worried, honestly. Like, if I fix the light in that room, then I might have to see myself clearly in that mirror, and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, right? I'm not sure if I'm going to like what I see. You know, studies show that most people don't see themselves very clearly. For example, one famous study interviewed mothers, and they asked them what they thought of themselves in several areas, how they would rank themselves in several areas, specifically in regard to intelligence, beauty, and success. And most of these moms, they ranked themselves very low, right? They just said, I'm the worst when it comes to intelligence, beauty, and success. And then they interviewed the children of those mothers and asked them, how would you rank your mother in these areas? And of course, the children rank their mothers 
incredibly high when it came to beauty, intelligence, and success. So some people are like that. They fail to see themselves clearly because they are undervaluing themselves. But you know what? The other side is also true. It's also quite common for people to have an overinflated opinion about themselves. So for example, the University of California, they did a study and they found in their study that 80% of people believe that they are more ethical than the average person. 80% of people believe that they're more ethical than the average person. Mathematically, that is not possible, right? For 80% to be above average. What that means is that almost half of the people who believe that they are above average are actually below average, okay? Now, it gets worse when you look at other, other studies on this subject. So, for example, a study was done of professors, and I love this one. It found that 94% of professors believe that they are better than the average professor. 94%. 85% of people in America believe that they are above average in intelligence and skill compared to other Americans. Now, what that means is that there are a lot of people out there who have an incorrect perception of themselves. They do not see themselves accurately or clearly. Now, this doesn't come as a surprise when we read the Bible because the Bible tells us that as human beings, we have an incredible capacity for self-deception. We have an inclination, right? We're inclined to believe lies rather than the truth. So then the question is, how do you actually see yourself clearly? Like, how can you know if you're seeing yourself clearly or not? Well, in order to see yourself clearly, what do you need? Well, you need a mirror and you need light, right? In order for the mirror to work, you need light. And what's interesting is that God tells us that his word, the holy scriptures, they are both a mirror and a light. Both of those are used as descriptors for what the scriptures are like and what they do for our lives. So the scripture that we have here in our Bibles, they're like a mirror that helps us see ourselves clearly, and it's like light, which illuminates things so we can see them for how they really are. But you know what? It does require a degree of courage, doesn't it? It requires a degree of courage to look in the mirror and turn on the lights because there's a chance, like with me and my favorite mirror, that you might not like what you see. You see, there's, there's a good news, though, for those of us who look in the mirror and don't like what you see. If that's you, if sometimes you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, I've got good news for you. The good news is that God's grace has the power to transform you. In our study this morning, as we get into 1 Timothy, the second half of chapter 1, we're going to be looking at two men, Paul and Timothy. Now, for both of them, the gospel transformed their lives and gave them a new identity and a new calling. But whereas one of them needed to grow in humility, the other one needed to grow in confidence. And the transforming power of the gospel accomplished both of these things in their lives. And the same can be true for you. So the title of today's message is Seeing Yourself Clearly. And what we're going to see in our passage today is this. Here's our summary statement, which will also be our outline for studying through these passages. I'd love it if you'd write this down, take it with you as you go today, so you can have this thought in your mind as you go throughout the week. God's grace has the power to transform lives, giving us a new identity and filling us with both humility and confidence. 
So let's take that sentence and we're going to break it into a few parts. It'll be our guide for studying the passage and it's a standalone statement. So God's grace has the power to transform lives. That's the first thing we see in this passage. God's grace has the power to transform lives. Paul the Apostle writes here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly... I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This book, 1 Timothy, this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. Now, Paul had known Timothy ever since Timothy was just a child. And when Timothy was a young man, perhaps in his late teens or early 20s, Paul took Timothy under his wing, invited him to come along with him on his missionary travels and his journeys to be part of the team. And Paul mentored him. They've had a mentoring relationship that went on for decades. At the point when this letter is written, Paul's likely in his 50s, Timothy in his 30s. And when Paul wrote this letter, Timothy was living in the city of Ephesus, the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. And he was pastoring and leading the Christian church in that city. Now, the church in Ephesus was one of the largest and most influential churches in the world at that time. It was started by the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey, which we read about in the book of Acts, chapter 19. And we read there that Paul lived in the city of Ephesus. He not only started this church, but he lived in the city for three years, pastoring these people and proclaiming the gospel, teaching the Bible. Eventually, though, Paul left. He felt that God was calling him to go to Jerusalem. And so he handed the church over to local leaders. And when Paul left Ephesus, we read about it in Acts chapter 20, he gave a speech to the leaders of the church that he left in charge of the church when he went to Jerusalem. And in that speech, Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, Paul warned them. He said, I want you guys, after I leave, I want you to be on your guard, lest anyone come into this church and start teaching false doctrines that are contrary to the clear message of Scripture and the teaching of the gospel. Well, after that, okay, Paul left, left those other folks in charge. He went to Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, Paul ended up being arrested because of his faith in Jesus. And through a series of events, Paul was taken to Rome as a prisoner where he was kept under house arrest as he awaited trial. Now, it was during that time when Paul was in prison in Rome it was during that time that Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians while he was there awaiting trial in Rome. Well, eventually Paul had his day in court and he was exonerated. He was found not guilty. He was let out of jail. And so what did he do? Well, it was after Paul got out of jail there in Rome that he wrote this letter to Timothy. See, here's what happened. After Paul got out of jail in Rome, he got together with Timothy and they went back to Ephesus to check on how the church there was doing. But sadly, much to his dismay, what Paul found there when he got to Ephesus was that despite his warnings years earlier, false doctrine had indeed crept into the church. And so Paul asked Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to stay here in Ephesus. 
I want you to lead this church and I want you to bring it back into order and health and good teaching. I want you to stay here and, and manage this situation and get things right. And Paul says, I'm going to go up to Macedonia. I'm going to check on the churches there, but you, Timothy, stay here. Bring this church back into health and order and good teaching. So the occasion for this letter that Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul has given him this monumental task to lead and reform this large church. Now to do that, Timothy is going to have to navigate a lot of personalities, right? There are going to be people who don't like it that Timothy is telling them to stop teaching the things that they've been teaching. And the question is, in Timothy's mind, you can imagine, what if people don't accept me as their leader? What if they, they reject my, my leadership? What if they don't respect me? What if, they don't, what if they don't recognize me as their pastor? And clearly that did happen. We read in this letter, we can, we can read between the lines and see what was happening. In his role, Timothy was facing criticism. He was facing opposition as he sought to lead this church. And one of the things that Timothy seems to have struggled with the most was a feeling of inadequacy. That he wasn't cut out for this, that he didn't have what it took, that he wasn't qualified or a good enough leader to lead this congregation, especially to reform this congregation and get them back on the right track. In other words, Timothy lacked confidence about his ability to carry out this big task that he had been called to do as the leader of this church. And so, one of Paul's primary goals in writing this letter is to encourage Timothy in his role as the pastor of this church. And that's why Paul says here, starting in verse 12, let me encourage you, Timothy. Let me encourage you by telling you something about myself. He says, I thank the Lord Jesus for appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. You know, Paul had done some things in his past that he was not proud of. Maybe some of you can relate to that yourselves. Maybe you've also done some things that you're not proud of. And yet, here's the good news. Paul's past sins, they did not disqualify him from being used by God. Paul, God's, God's mercy and God's grace were enough to cover Paul's past sins and enable him to not just be accepted by God, but to also serve God. And what Paul's saying to Timothy, this young man who's feeling unworthy and incapable of the task that's set before him, he's saying, Timothy, listen, if anybody's disqualified or unworthy for serving the Lord, it's me. You know, the book of Acts tells us about the things that Paul did before he was a Christian, when he was a prominent leader in the Jerusalem Jewish movement, right? It says in Acts chapter 8 that Paul would lead this crew of people. And what they would do is they would go house to house, hunting for Christians, knocking on doors, dragging people out of their houses, putting them on trial. They would ask people, do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah? And if they said yes, they would put those people in prison. And often they would even put those people to death, such as in the case of Stephen, the man we read about in Acts chapter 7, who was the first Christian martyr. He was stoned to death by this mob led by Paul, because of his faith in Jesus. In Acts chapter 26, after Paul became a Christian, he tells the story himself with his own words of how he punished Christians often and compelled them to blaspheme. Compelled them to blaspheme. You can imagine that when Paul closed his eyes at night, he could probably still see the faces of the people as he had looked in their eyes and maybe even held a knife to their throat and said, curse Jesus or else. Paul must have lived with so much regret 
Regret about the people he'd hurt. Regret about the, the time he had wasted in his life resisting God. Regret about the things that he had said about Jesus in the past. But what Paul's saying here to Timothy is this. Timothy, listen. If God can use someone like me, then God can most certainly use you. Timothy, I used to be a violent man. I used to be an insolent man, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an opponent of Jesus, an opponent of his work. But God transformed me by his grace and by his mercy. I'm a different man today than the man I used to be because of God's grace in my life. He says in verse 13, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul's ignorance, Paul's unbelief, it didn't excuse his sin, but it did invite God's mercy. Mercy is God's compassionate patience towards you. God's compassionate patience towards you. Whereas grace... Grace is when God gives you something you don't deserve and that you haven't earned. And what happened to Paul is that God's grace overflowed to him by the love that is in Christ Jesus. And God's grace transformed Paul's life. He became a completely different person than he used to be. Jesus describes this transformation that God works in our hearts by the Holy Spirit when we put our faith and trust in him. He describes it as being born again. It's the beginning of a whole new life. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you invite him to be Lord of your life, when you take his hand and begin to walk with him, his spirit comes into your life and begins to transform you from the inside out. And as you experience his love and his grace, you know what it does? It changes your appetite. It changes your desire. You develop new desires that you didn't have before and other desires that you had previously begin to wane your desire for God and for his word, your desire to do his will begins to grow as you experience his goodness, his love, and his grace, and your appetite for other stuff begins to diminish. Whereas before, Paul wanted to curse Jesus. Now Paul wanted to praise Jesus. Whereas before, Paul wanted to kill Christians. Now Paul wanted to start churches and help more people become Christians. He was a changed man. And God, listen, God will do a transforming work in your life as well when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and surrender your life to him. Well, let's talk about the details of what happens, how God changes your life exactly. How does he transform you? Well, one of the ways that God transforms you is by giving you a new identity. You see, God's grace in Paul's life, it gave him a new identity. No longer was his identity blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. Now he has a new identity there in verse 12. It mentions it. Here's his new identity. Servant of Jesus. Servant of Jesus. When Paul identifies himself or introduces himself in many of his letters, that's how he introduced himself. Paul, a servant, a bond slave of Jesus. You see, Timothy had been called into the ministry, as we like to say, as a pastor. But you know that word ministry, it just means service, right? It's just, it just means service. In the original language of the New Testament, there's nothing high or spiritual or lofty about this word. It's a regular word. You know what it means? Hard work, serving other people. A servant is a person who does whatever their master tells them. And you know what? There's nothing that's beneath a servant. Something we, we try to do here at the church, we always say this with our staff and our staff meetings. We purposefully, we purposefully avoid using the language of volunteering 
And so we, we, you know, you might notice this. It's not like a super big deal to us, but we do it on purpose. Instead of using the word volunteer, we always use the word serve because Jesus described himself as a servant who came to serve others, not to be served himself. And he said that greatness in his kingdom is measured by how you serve others. And so we don't view ourselves as volunteers giving of our time. No, we view ourselves as servants. What else can we do? We're servants of our master called to serve others, get beneath them and lift them up. So Paul would say to Timothy, you want to know what the essence of ministry is, Timothy? You're a pastor. You want to know what the essence of ministry is? Here's what it is. Service. It's about serving God by serving others. Most of the time, friends, people sometimes say, I want to serve the Lord. You know what it looks like? It looks like serving others. How can you succeed in the role that God has given you? Whatever that role may be. Here's what it's about. Seeing yourself as a servant, a servant of God who's called to serve people as you serve God. Now listen, this wasn't just true for Timothy, and it's not just true for pastors or people in what we call vocational ministry. Listen, in whatever vocation God has called you to, he's called you to serve him by serving others. You know, that word vocation, it's a really interesting word. A lot of people don't realize this, that that is a uniquely Christian word. And I'll tell you why, because that word came about during the Reformation. It came into popular use during the Reformation. Previously, you know, the thought had been in the Middle Ages that there are only two kinds of jobs. There's the secular jobs and there's the sacred jobs. Sacred jobs means you're serving God, you're working in the church. The reformers came around. They said, no, 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 that's completely not what the Bible teaches. You know what the Bible teaches? It teaches that every job isn't just a way to make money, but it's a way that God has uniquely called you to serve him by serving others. And so they said, your job isn't just an occupation. You know what your job is? It's a calling. And so the word vocation actually comes from a Latin word, vocare, which means calling. Your job isn't just a way to make money. It's actually a calling from God to serve him every day by serving the people he brings into your life to serve. And this is what the grace of God does in your life. It transforms you. It gives you a new identity. Your new identity is servant of Jesus. And you know what a servant is called to do? Well, look at what he says in verse 12. They're called to be found faithful. Faithful. You know, faithfulness is a really cool thing. If that's the measure of success, that's a good thing. You know why? Because you don't have to be smart to be faithful. You don't. You don't have to be a smart person to be faithful. You know what else you don't need to be to be faithful? You don't need to be talented. You don't need to be gifted to be faithful. Friends, you can be faithful right now in whatever situation or stage of life God has placed you in, whatever he has set before you, you can be found faithful with what God has called you to do. Whereas Paul used to be an insolent opponent of Jesus, now he has a new identity, faithful servant. And look at what he says in verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The essence and the heart of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Now that's important because it means that Jesus did not come into this world merely to be a good example. You realize that? He didn't come into this world merely to be a good example. He didn't come into this world merely to be a wise teacher like many other wise teachers who've come before. Now Jesus was certainly both of those things, right? He was certainly a good example. He was certainly a wise teacher. But that's not why he came. 
Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And how did he do that? Well, he did it by living a holy and sinless life, fulfilling all of God's righteous requirements for us. He did it by dying sacrificially in our place to take the judgment for our sins. And he did it by rising from the grave on the third day, conquering and defeating death. Listen, if Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that's really good news for people like me because it means that being a sinner is the first qualification for becoming a child of God. That's the first qualification. Are you qualified to be a child of God? Well, I don't know. Are you a sinner? Listen, sinners are not disqualified from coming to Jesus. If you're a sinner, then Jesus came for you. Jesus was known as, he wanted to be known. He said, write it in the book. I'm a friend of sinners. And that's good news for me because that means Jesus wants to be friends with me. And I would imagine that that's true for you as well. But that's not the only thing Paul says in this verse. He says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now that word foremost, it can also be translated as chief, number one, captain, the greatest of all sinners. And yet by the grace of God, Paul's life had been transformed. He had received a new identity. No longer was he merely a sinner. Now he was saved, forgiven, and redeemed. That brings us to the final part of our sentence here. Listen, God's grace has the power to transform lives and give us a new identity. And here's what it does. It fills us with both humility and confidence. Fills us with both humility and confidence. Listen, if you read through Paul's letters, you'll notice an interesting progression in how Paul sees himself. If you look at his letters as time goes on, right? We know which ones were written at which time we know that there's an interesting progression that takes place in how Paul views himself and talks about himself. In his earlier letters, Paul tends to speak pretty highly of himself, right? But as time goes on, well, well, let me just show you for yourself. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul states about his own personal morality. He states that when it comes to keeping God's law, he was blameless. But then in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul describes himself as being the least of the apostles. I'm an apostle, but I would consider myself the least of them. Then later on in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul describes himself no longer only as the least of the apostles. Now he describes himself as the least of all the saints. The saints being Christians, right? He's the least of all the saints. And now here in his later, one of his later letters, one of his last letters before he died, Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners. It's interesting, right? Because you, you might expect that as time went on and Paul got closer to Jesus, that he would improve, that he would get better, that he would be more sanctified and less sinful. I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Right? Paul himself had talked about on two occasions, he talks about making progress in your faith, right? Not just staying stagnant, but making progress in your faith. So does this mean that Paul over time actually became a worse person, right? He started out blameless, but now he's the chief of all sinners, right? It seems to be going in the, the opposite direction, Paul. Well, no, I don't believe that Paul was becoming a worse person over time. Rather, what was happening is that as Paul got closer to Jesus, his view of himself began to change. 
You see, in the book of James, in the New Testament, James tells us that God's word is like a mirror that shows us what we're really like. But you know, again, like in my, my house, the, in order to use a mirror, you need light. And the Bible also describes God's words as being like light, which illuminate and help us to see. And so what happened with Paul and what will happen with us? You see, as he got closer to Jesus, even though he was indeed being changed and transformed in good ways, made more like Jesus every day, yet he was also becoming more and more aware of flaws in his life that he hadn't even realized were there previously. You see, the closer you get to a mirror and the more you turn up the lights, the more you're able to see the imperfections. Now, those imperfections were there all along, but you couldn't see them until you turned up the lights and got closer to the mirror. And that's what happens as you get closer to Jesus. Rather than becoming more proud and more self-righteous, as some people might think, right? Well, well, as you become more holy, you're going to become more, you know, sanctimonious, right? You're going you're to become more self-righteous, more proud. And what we see here is that that's not the case, actually. Because the closer you get to Jesus, if you're honest, the more you become aware of your need for God's grace, that it wasn't just that you needed it when you started, but you actually still need it right now. And you know what else you become aware of? How much God's grace has done for you. You begin to appreciate it more. You know, there's an interesting phenomena called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you ever heard of this? The Dunning-Kruger effect is the phenomena in which the less knowledgeable somebody is, the more confident they tend to be. Have you ever encountered that, right? Like the dumber you are, the more self-confidence you have, right? And so it's a, it's a common effect. And, and it goes the other way too, that as people begin to learn more things, sometimes they become less confident. And here's why, because they begin to realize the things that they didn't know before. And then they begin to realize how much they don't actually know yet. Right? So it's interesting, though. It's kind of a bad combination, right? Like being less knowledgeable and more confident can probably lead to a lot of bad things. But here's how it works in regard to how we see ourselves. The same thing's true. For many people, the measure of what it means to be a good person is pretty low, right? Like if you would ask people, you know, in these studies I mentioned, everybody thinks they're above average, right? When it comes to being a good person. But if you ask them to define what, okay, what is a good person? What, what makes you good? Well, they generally, they set the bar really low, right? It's stuff like, well, you know, not, not murdering your parents and trying to be nice to people. That's it. And so what happens is as you begin to walk with God, as you get to know the heart of God by studying his word, what you come to realize is that you're way more flawed than you actually used to think you were. You used to think you were pretty awesome, right? But then you're like, oh, Oh, maybe, maybe I'm more sinful than I ever realized, right? You come to realize that sin isn't just what you do with your actions, but it's also your attitudes. It's the motivations. It's the desires that you harbor in your heart. So for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, listen, you know that the law says don't murder, but you know that, right, it's not only a sin to just murder someone physically. It's also a sin to have contempt in your heart towards someone else. He said, it's not only a sin to commit adultery with your body, but listen, it's a sin to lust after someone in your mind. In other words, as you get closer to the mirror, as you turn up the lights, 
the more clearly you begin to see yourself. And the closer you get to Jesus, rather than causing you to be filled with pride, just the opposite happens if you're really honest. It causes you not to look down on others. It actually causes you to increase in humility because you realize how much you still need the grace of God in your life, perhaps more than ever before. You realize that rather than outgrowing your need for Jesus as time goes on, the closer you get to him, the more you realize how much you need him now. And the more you realize the extent of God's grace, what he's done for you in your life, his undeserved, un unearned favor, it fills you with humility and it fills you with awe because you realize that God placed his love upon you and sent his son to save you, not because of anything that you've done. It's not because you're so great. It's because he's great. And rather than looking down on others, what it causes you to do is to look up to God and then want to help others. Because if God could do that for you, the chief of sinners, then surely he could do it for anybody. Listen, if God could save someone like Paul, a murderer, a blasphemer, and transform his life into a faithful servant of Jesus, listen, if God could save him and transform his life, then surely God can do that for you. If the chief of sinners has been saved, then there is no room for despair. Do you know that? If the chief of sinners has been saved, there's no room for despair because it means that now nobody can say that they're too great a sinner to be saved because the ringleader, the chief of the gang has been washed and redeemed. If that's the case, then why not I and why not you? He says in verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The humility that filled Paul's heart as he came to know the transforming power of God's grace, it didn't cause him to look down on himself or consider himself to be worthless or trash. Not, not at all. Rather, it caused him to have a heart for other people that they might experience the transformative grace of God in their lives as well. And what it did is it caused him to well up in praise to God. Look at verse 17, to the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So for Paul, coming to know and experience God's grace in his life, it caused him to be filled with a very necessary and a very healthy sense of humility. But for Timothy, remember him? What Timothy needed to grow in was not humility. What Timothy needed to grow in was confidence in what God had called him to do. And that's something that God's grace provides us with as well. Look at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made about you previously, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over Satan that, to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. When Paul says in verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, a charge is a military term that a commanding officer would give to someone under, the, under their command. But along with that military language, Paul adds, Timothy, my child. So he's speaking to him like a dad. Come on, son. God's called you. Now get out there and do it. Apparently, some prophecies have been made about Timothy and the ministry God was calling him to. And Paul was saying, hey, have confidence in this. 
Paul describes the task that Timothy had in front of him as being like a battle. It wasn't going to be an easy task, but like a good soldier, Timothy was called to stand his ground, fight the battle, and not abandon his post. I wonder if there are any of you out there who, who God has called you to do something and it isn't easy. It feels like a battle. It feels like a fight. In those cases, look what you need in verse 19. Here's what you need in those cases when it's like a battle and like a fight. You know, hold fast to the faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. Knowing that you're doing what God called you to do, that can give you a ton of endurance in the midst of a battle. When the battle's hard and you need endurance, it really helps to know that you're doing exactly what God called you to do in the midst of that, in the midst of that difficult fight. Paul mentions two men by name in verse 20, and he says that they have not held on to the faith and a good conscience, and as a result, they have shipwrecked their faith. These men are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus is mentioned again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, where there it tells us that he was somebody who was spreading false teachings. And so apparently Paul had kicked these men out of the church. They had removed them from the church. He says, so they will learn not to blaspheme. Now that phrase there in verse 20, it's like handed them over to Satan. What does that mean? That sounds scary. Well, we know what that means because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uses the same phrase in his discussion of putting someone out of the church through a process of church discipline. And the idea there with handing them over to Satan is that the church is the household of God and therefore to be outside of the household of God is to be in the realm of Satan outside the protective boundaries of the church. But notice that the purpose of Paul doing this to these men was not to punish them for doing something bad. Rather, it was to teach them in the hope that they would change their ways and repent. And if they did, if that church discipline caused them to realize the error of their ways and repent, then they would be welcomed back into the church. It wasn't a permanent thing that could never be undone. It was a temporary thing to teach them a lesson, an important thing. But the point of this section is this to remind Timothy that the same grace of God that transformed Paul's life and gave Paul a new identity, that same grace was available to Timothy and at work in his life as well. Paul needed to grow in humility. Timothy needed to grow in confidence and in the role in the ministry God had called him to. And the same grace that transformed Paul was available to Timothy as well. Just as God had called Timothy God would also empower Timothy to do what God called him to do. And Timothy could be confident, not in his own strength, but in the strength that God would be faithful to provide. And friends, the same is true for you. The closer we get to Jesus, you know what happens? It's not just that we become more aware of our blemishes, but much more importantly, we become more aware of his beauty and his strength to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And rather than making us Hopeless, what it does, it makes us humble and confident, not in ourselves, but in him. And our goal becomes now not to show people how good we are, but to help them to see how good he is. If God's grace in, in Jesus was enough to save the chief of sinners, then certainly it's enough to save you and to save others who turn to him by faith. The good news of the gospel 
is that Jesus, the light of the world, he doesn't only reveal our blemishes, but he is able to remove our blemishes and to present us blameless before the Father because through his life and death and resurrection, he has done everything in order to cleanse us of our sins and make us right with God. That is his gift to you. And the way to receive that is by faith, trusting in and clinging to Jesus and what he did for you. God's grace has the power to transform lives, giving us a new identity and filling us with both humility and confidence. Would you please bow your heads and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.